Smith with a track called Shakespeare's Sister from the album The World Won't Listen. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Once again, we'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, we want to bring you the best in indie pop, and we'll be crossing time, space and genre with the best, or the finest, in indie pop. And this week, as always, we like a special guest. It's going to be David Gedge from The Wedding Present. So expect quality interview, plus songs from the band, and our usual award-worthy playlist. But I'm going to kick off the show with probably one of the first songs I heard of theirs. This is Once More. Just let me go out there 
Amazing sounds of um, that's um, the Marine Girls featuring Tracy Thorne on vocals, but also Jane and Alice Fox. And in a couple of weeks' time, I should be bringing you a special on the Marine Girls because I caught up with Jane Fox 
actually that was quite a few months ago I've had a bit of a backlog with all these interviews and specials but anyway um, that will be coming out in the new year on the Marine Girls I know I also did um, Gina Hartman recently as well and before that and it's this week's special guest it is uh, the unmistakable sound of the wedding present and the track called Once More I think that was from the album Tommy but anyway this week uh, it's going to be David Gedge because I caught up with him recently when he was um, down in London so I'll be bringing that interview towards the second half of the program but to keep the show going this is a song that i've been playing a lot recently this is rem and a track called photograph that features natalie merchant on backing vocals and i think it's a bit of a winner and um, it's been on heavy rotation in my kitchen anyway i found this photograph underneath broken picture glass tender face of black
was The Pixies and a track called Debaso. That came from their album Do Little. And before that, we had R.E.M., which uh, obviously on vocals was Michael Stipe, and backing vocals there, Natalie Merchant. And that was a demo that came out, I think it was some sort of anniversary uh, release of Automatic for the People, and the track called Photograph, which I think is particularly fine, and I've been playing that endlessly in the last week. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. And if you want to contact me, we love your messages. You can via Twitter or Facebook go to at C86 show. But as I said at the beginning of the program, this week's special guest is David Gedge from The Wedding Present. So I'll be bringing you that interview. But also, as, as we often do at this time of year, there's been a lot of exciting books that have come out. And I know that Neil Taylor, who put together the NME cassette, the C86 cassette back in the day, um, and that book has just come out, which is good. So if you want to tr- uh, try and track that down, it's worth it. But also just come out on paperback a book by Richard King called How Soon Is Now, subtitled The Madman and Mavericks, who made the independent music scene from 1975 to 2005, which obviously features my favourite decade in music. So that's on Faber and Faber, so do check that out. Anyway, back to the music. This is, yes, This Boy Can Wait from The Wedding Present. David Gedge, take it away. Why do we have to hide behind these doors? If the world doesn't 
What you got to do? That obviously was that petrol emotion on a track called Big Decision. And um, the reason I play that particular song today, and there's many, one being it's a fantastic singer, but also I caught up with their lead singer Steve Mack this week. And um, I know all the way from Seattle, and there was me in Little Norwich. But anyway, we had a quality uh, interview. And he's such a nice guy. So I'll be bringing you a special on that petrol emotion very soon once I've sort of cleared the backlog. And he also sent me a link to his uh, latest band called Stag, who also sounded very good as well. So thumbs up. Thank you for that, Steve. And before that, we had this week's special guest, the one and only The Wedding Present and the track called This Boy Can Wait. This is David Eastall, The C86 Show. And as I said, I caught up with David Gedge recently. So I'll be bringing you that interview, I realise, in four easy-to-digest little segments towards the latter half of the show. But realising that time is ticking on and these are particularly good bits of conversation we had, I think I'll play another track and then play the first part of the interview. This is The Flatmates and a track called Shimmer.
from Bristol, the flatmates and the track called Shimmer that came from the album Love and Death, which uh, originally came out on the Subway Organisation record label. But you can get all their stuff now. I think a rather groovy compilation that's um, out on the Cherry Red record label, as most things are nowadays from the 80s indie scene. Anyway, David Eastall, the C86 show. And like I said, it is the wedding present special because I caught up with their main man, David Gedge, a couple of months ago to find out more about the band. Now, this is my first part, first part of the interview where I ask him about um, the longevity of the band because mostly bands don't last that long. But in the case of David Gage and the wedding present, he just tr- keeps on trucking. David, take it away. Well, so, yeah, it's kind of, you know, you know it's not sort of, it's something I actually planned, really. It just, it just appears to have uh, happened. It's, uh, I saw an interview with Tony Curtis once on uh, probably Parkinson or something. And he would say, you know, he's been in show business for 50 years now, or whatever it was. And he, he said, you know, it really feels like I just went to Hollywood yesterday, and here I am now. And it's, it's gone. And I'd, I do kind of see what he, you know, was, he was getting at, really, because it, it doesn't seem that long ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's weird, because I didn't even realize it was, uh, you know, we did going, going last year, obviously. And, and we were kind of booking the, you know, the tours for, for this year. And the end of last year, and then we got this invitation to do uh, to play, play this festival called Gigantic in Manchester. And they said, "Would you be prepared to, to play George Best as it's the 30th anniversary?" And to be honest with you, I'd totally forgotten that it was 30 years because right. it, it doesn't seem that long ago since we're doing the 20th anniversary. Yes, you know. Uh, and so, 
Yeah, it's, it, I mean that's one reason why it's been such a you know, busy you know, year and a half, really, because we did we did going going. So yeah. We did the normal tours for that, and then we went to Australasia and North America, as you say. Uh, and at the same time, we've been invited to do some Josh Best concerts as well. Yes. Because of that, so it's kind of you know having like two albums out at the same time in a way. One you know one just came out thirty years ago. It's amazing because I've sort of been sort of going through all these kind of indie bands from the eighties, and it's quite interesting because because they there is a sort of for most of them you know ninety nine percent there's a sort of a five year longevity of of them which I hadn't really thought about until I started interviewing people, and then it was like you know they they got together, they made a bit of a sound, did a single, then got on the John Peel show and thought wow that's it we better do the album and then did the tour and then there was the problem you know the second album and there was there was lots of reasons often you know there is the sort of dynamics but there's also the industry and also the lack of money so with the wedding present you seem to have done remarkably well yeah i think i think i'm probably a bit you know well i'm definitely driven to do it uh slightly probably obsessed with it as well like, you know it's just I'm a bit of a kind of a control freak and a perfectionist, so once I've started a job, uh, yes. I will kind of, you know, throw my whole self into it. And I just think, you know, I started doing this job 30 years ago, 32 years ago, whatever, and uh, it, it, it's become this great obsession now, I think, and I, you know... Uh, but I, I was quite interested because I spoke to the, a person from the Primitives, Paul, and he said that they just got to the point where nobody was particularly interested in them anymore and they sort of thought, oh, we might as well just call it a day. And I thought that was amazing. The Primitives, for a moment, were the, the hot number. So I, I didn't realise there was that other factor of, of suddenly finding that nobody actually really cares about your next album, your third, or beyond that album. So, so you've obviously managed to maintain a sort of loyal fan base. Yeah, I think so, and I think it's. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, sort of sound immodest about it, but uh, yeah, I think it's something to do with the, you know, with the songwriting and the records we've made. Really, I think you know, yeah, you know, we strive hard. To, you know, I think there's been a standard set of, of, of wedding present records or songs or, or whatever, and I think you know we've we do always strive to maintain that, if not better it, really, and I think. Uh, you know, not all bands do that really, and and I think you know some struggle because of that really. Yes. I think you know, you know, you know, once it's very, in some ways, it's easy to do a debut album because you've got nothing to compare it to. But yeah. then once you've you know you you've achieved a certain level and acclaim or whatever or you know following from that, you kind of you know straight away it's a competition with yourself really to to, to carry on and build on it really at the same time you know, not make it the same record again, which is another problem that bands often have, that, you know, they'll make the same record over and over again, really, as well. So, uh, you know, I'm not not saying it's, you know, I'm I'm brilliant for doing this, but it is quite difficult. And I think, you know, it it takes a lot of work. You know, a lot of people think, you know, we have people join the band actually thinking, oh, great, I'll be, you know, I'll be in the wedding present. It'll be great. I'll travel the world. I'll write songs. I'll make records. And it it sounds exciting and fun and glamorous, but... uh, and I'd say probably 10% of it is, but, but a lot of it is down to a lot of, you know, hard work and stress, stress really. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not one for, for shirking away from that, really. I think, I think that's, that's one reason why the band still exists now. I'm, I'm quite happy to put in the, uh, you know, in the work. <laughs> and that was the first part of my interview with David Gedge from The Wedding Present. And as I said, 
at the beginning of the show, if you're paying attention, I brought that in four, so I've got three more to go. Anyway, David Eastall, The C86 Show. And um, if you want to contact me, you can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show. But because we are obviously been channeling the spirit of the wedding present, I think we should play another track by them. And I think we should get Ted Chippington to introduce the band. Take it away, Ted. Can't be bad indeed. Not many syllables there either. Not a bad cup of tea either. Anyway, the next number could be quite good, but I've never heard it, so uh, a bit hard to tell in this day and age, eh? Anyway, it's called You Should Always Keep In Touch With Your Friends, a good bit of advice, I'd say, and it's by The Wedding Present, so uh, let's take it. keep in touch with your friends and I think I got that also from a compilation called Let's Try Another Ideal 
Guest House, which was a, um, one of those charity fundraising albums that came out um, supporting, I think it was supporting Shelter, and it had a lot of bands on it, probably people like Laugh, 14 Ice Bears, Tallulah Gosh. I think so, but I'd have to do a bit more research. Anyway, David Eastall, The C86 Show, and this is going to be the second part of my interview with David Gedge from the band... Uh, the Wedding Present, where I ask him about, was it music or bus? Because there aren't that many people who decide to uh, stick with music throughout their career. Yeah, and I think I'm probably one of those people. Uh, yeah, obviously, I'm, 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 I've been fortunate enough that uh, it's not come to the, you know, the, the, the requirement of a second career, really. Although I went to university, so I kind of got, you know, I did think that, that once I got a degree, that if the musical kind of career didn't, pan out as the way I wanted it, I'd probably have something to fall back on, but uh, yeah, since since the wedding present seriously be- uh, began, yes. you know, we've, we've managed to, uh, well, I suppose the wedding present cinerama, whatever, uh, it's been a struggle at times, but but generally, you know, it's been okay. Yeah, I mean, when you, you know, because obviously you formed about the mid-80s and you managed to get onto that famous NME cassette, did it take long for the band to get together and form? Oh yeah, God yeah. <laughs> uh, but it always is, to be honest. But, you know, when you, when you start the band, I think it's uh, it's very rare that it all falls into place very easily and uh, very easily. And I think we had, you know, I've kind of been doing this since I was a kid. You know, I've had various groups. You know, when I was growing up in Manchester, I went back and I went you know, back to Leeds University. I, I was in groups at university, and then left university. I was in groups then, and I'd, you know, the wedding present was, you know, the one. The final in a in a yes. long list of bands, yeah. working with various people and it didn't work out or you know for whatever reason. Uh, and in 1984, I suppose we we hit upon this lineup where we actually felt that it was it was good enough and you know time to make a record and have a real shot at it really. So yeah. although we'd done kind of demos and stuff before, it wasn't until that lineup. Uh, yeah, so it, so it took years for, for that to. You know, I think I think in the year before that lineup finally made a record, we 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 had ten different drummers. <laughs> it was right. a ridiculous number because it was just hard to find someone who was, you know, from the same kind of background as we were in terms of musical inspirations and culture and stuff, and uh, he was you know, keen to actually be in the band. Really amazing, because I was talking to. Um, Greg from Big Flame, who sort of they they you know just got into a band, the three three of them, because there wasn't that much else to do in Manchester at the time, and their sound was kind of cultivated from the fact that two of them really couldn't play their instruments, so they sort of ended up sounding like Big Flame basically because they couldn't <laughs> copy anybody else. I mean, was your was your sound developed over um, you know sort of like through your musical influences or through your actually this is the only sound we can make sort of thing? Uh, I think you know. It's a mishmash of, of, of influences here. You know, I've always said that you know the wedding present sound at any time is is basically the sound of the, the people in the band at the time, and we've had so many over the years that have had different influences. But I, I can't really only speak for myself, but it was it was mainly you know I was influenced by a lot of the stuff that well you know John Peel was playing really at the time uh, from the kind of late seventies onwards through my university years and stuff. So. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't think I've, I've particularly been hampered by a lack of talent or anything because, uh, you know, the kind of stuff we do, it doesn't require, you know, that, that much kind of technical prowess, really. It's more about you know, crafting a, a, a great pop song, really, and, 
you know, and a, and a, and a, and a thoughtful lyric, I suppose. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because at that time, listening to John Peel kind of as a religious experience almost three nights a week and sort of... Um, yeah, five, if you're old enough. <laughs> you're, I can't, yes, I can't quite remember actually how many nights it was, but I'd always put my trusty TDK C90 tape in because I'd have to listen to it a few times to yeah. sort of get an idea of what it was because it was all just new stuff and um, the first time just sounded difficult. And the second time it was like, oh yeah, this is better. But obviously we were sort of jumping on the bandwagon, but in a good way, people like the Bundy Boys and... Um, Thomas McFumo and the Blacks Unlimited. And then, you, you know, because members of the, the wedding present and yourself also did other little associated acts, didn't you? Which was sort of kind of bringing in different sounds. Yeah, well, that's, I think that's, you know, one of the strengths of the band, really. I think it ties in with that question before about the, about the longevity as well, that we've always... It's never been the kind of album that's made... Uh, sorry, the, the kind of band that's made an album and then kind of made it again, really, if you know what I mean. So so we've always had that, you know, we've always been striving to kind of go down different avenues and, and try different ideas. And, yeah, it, it, it's been, you know, it's varied. It's been very varied over the years. We've had the, the Ukrainian folk music and then obviously Cinerama, a totally different project as well. Uh, and even within the wedding present itself, there's, you know, almost, it feels like I've been in about, that I've been in about four or five different groups, to be honest with you, over the years. Yeah, and I have, if you, if you count up the, the, you know, the number of members we've been through as well. But uh, you know, you, it's hard to compare some of the albums we, we've done because because they're, they're like chalk and cheese, really, which you know, I see as a positive thing. You know, in a lot, uh, not everybody you know likes that because uh, you know, I think once you get used to a, a band's sound, if, if the next project or record sounds like a different group, it, it can put people off really because they go, well, you know, what happened to the yes. jangly guitars or something? But uh, I make no bones about it. Really, I think you know, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, want to be in a band that that has that that same sound. And that was me in conversation with David Gage from the Wedding Present. And uh, if you just tuned in, this is David Easter on the C86 show. Now I realise time is ticking. And I was going to play another track there, but I'm going to go into the third part of the interview. I know, it's very exciting, where I talk about um, creating the music and also how you deal with criticism. David, take it away. I suppose uh, uh, you know, uh, two things I'd say. is One is that uh, I think you become immune to criticism in a way. <laughs> I think if you, do it, if you do it long enough, I'm sure David Bowie was the same. Yes. I think you, know, you don't care what people think. You, know, you have your own vision and you put it into, into practice, really. But then, secondly, with with me, I think it, it's you know I'll make no uh, excuses. I think it's been the kind of flow of people f- through the group through the years who've come in with you know different ideas and different, uh, as I say, different you know, influences, I suppose, and they've often pushed me in a direction which I've initially kind of resisted because I think, you know, wait a minute, you know, I wouldn't do this you know, to this song. Uh, it sounds a bit alien to me. But then you kind of think about it and think, well, why not? You know, let, let, let's go down this this route and see what see where it takes us. And I think often that's take it's taken the band into a different area, really. Which, in retrospect, I've been very happy about. But that, you know, it can be, you know, like you say, it can be a very quite a painful process. It's probably very painful. Because I noticed from your early years, there was a couple of um, brilliant covers you did. You did a Girls at Our Best song, didn't you, Getting Nowhere Fast, mm-hmm. which was great. And also there was a compilation, an anti-Poltax compilation called Elvin Lives in Leeds. And you did the Steve Harley number as well, didn't you? We did, yeah. Which was fantastic. Did you enjoy covering a few other people's material? Yeah, I still do, to be honest. And we've done a, you know, 
you know, we've written loads over the years in both bands. Uh, a, it's 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 interesting because you kind of, I think, well, you know, from my point of view, uh, you know, I'm probably less precious about somebody else's song than I am about my own, you know, my own work. Really, you know, you, you tend to get, get, you know, emotionally attached to it, and and you, and you don't want anything to kind of uh, you know, take away from your original, you know, idea for it. Whereas with a you know, with a cover version, you can turn it on its head and you can mess around with it and you can there's loads of different things you can do, which uh, so there's a kind of bit more freedom I think from, from in, in some respects. And then the other thing is that uh, I think you learn how other people have, have written songs when you, you approach someone else's song and you look at the way they've arranged it and stuff and think, oh that's interesting. I would never have done that. Yes. I think you, know, you can develop your own style in some ways. I remember we did. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. There's a song by uh, Sophie Ellis Bexter called mm-hmm. called Groove. What's it called? Groove Jet. Uh, and we covered that as Cinerama for Appeal Session once. And uh, and the, you know we took it to this kind of weird, kind of droney, kind of quite dark place. And that totally inspired us to write in, uh, Interstate Five, which was the a track on on the on Take Fountain, the Wedding Present album, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because of that, you know, that cover basically. I think you know that inspired us to to write our own song in that style. Yeah, because actually, the, what the one thing that the other thing that people have often had issues with being in a band, and no one knows when they're starting, but it's the sort of the, the record label and the management. Did you manage to m- maneuver and um, cope with those those tricky moments? Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, half the time, it's been it's been <laughs> my own label. Uh, we've never really had a manager, to be honest. Uh, we've had people who are advisors from time to time, but but we've never been the kind of band who 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 needed a manager, to be honest with you, because we're quite happy to make the decisions ourselves. Uh, and then you know, with record labels, uh, you know, I suppose the first album was our you know, was on our own label, so we. Established ourselves before we'd even signed to, to, a, to a normal label, and then we you know, we signed to RCA from position of strength, I think, mm. and we made sure that we we got a lot of control in the contract, which we did, and I, I, had, I had never had any problems with them. And then you know other labels subsequently that we, that we uh, I think once we'd established that we were the kind of band who you weren't going to mess with really, you know, we're not going to the kind of band where you're going to have the A and R people. In the studio, as you're mixing it, saying, mm, "I think you should do this." It's it's not going to happen with the wedding present, really. So, uh, I can't say it's ever been a problem for us, really. That's fantastic, because I know, you know, speaking to um, the Shind from the the very things, and he's like, "Well, we don't own our music, so we don't play any of the very things material." <laughs> and you think, "Oh, that's such a shame." It's just like, yeah. so we now the cravats, but you know, people occasionally ask for some from the very things, but that's not our, you know, though they've written it and and. And created it. That's they no longer. And have you it. hear these horror stories of people who, you know, bands who've, who've made records and then the record company you know, didn't feel it was good enough to, you know, to release, so it's just shelves and it never sees the light of day. And uh, again, it would never happen with us because we've, you know, we've always had a, a contract, uh, a clause saying that if that happens, we would be, you know, have the power to release it on our own label. But that'd be a nightmare to actually spend, you know, two or three years of your life writing this. 
yes. masterpiece and then recording it and mixing it and then it, it, it not seeing the light of day would be yeah. heartbreaking and that was my third part of the interview with David Cage and I realised I've just got one little bit left where I, I ask him that question what would he say to his 18 year old self but no, it's a tricky one really because obviously I, I think I've definitely made decisions along the line which uh, probably have affected the, you know, the the growth of the band commercially, and you know, we could have been bigger uh, had I had I you know, not done had not taken certain decisions. But then, you know, I'm not sure I would have been any happier. You know, I probably would have been richer, but you know, would I have been happier and prouder of the work? And the answer is, I guess not really. So. I can't imagine, you know, I don't think as much I would have changed, really, uh, you know, with experience, you know, to go back and tell that 18-year-old to, to, to uh, yeah, any different, really. I think, you know, I've, I've, been fair, I've been fairly pleased with the way it's evolved over the years. And actually, and I mean, and it was also, you, you sort of appeared at quite an amazing time because I suppose it was when John Peel was, was just in full flow, really, wasn't he, as well? Yes, and I think, you know, people often say... You know, we were very lucky to have Peel's patronage, uh, which, of course, we you know, we, are, you know, we were very fortunate. But at the same time, as I said before, because he influenced us so much, I, I, I think we were you know, almost destined to be a, a John Peel band because of the fact that uh, we were just listening to what he was playing on the radio yes. and then kind of giving it back you know, in some <laughs> ways in, in our own group. So it would have been devastating had he not. Uh, like the, the wedding present and not put our record so yes. uh, it was a bit of a yeah, symbiotic thing I think and that was the fourth and final part of my interview with David Gedge from The Wedding Present. So a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview. And uh, it looks like I have got time for two more tracks before the end of the show. So, because we're obviously feeling, um, channeling the spirit and the love and that driving guitar sound of The Wedding Present, I think we should play another track by them. This is Nobody Is Twisting Your Arm. Just somebody you met. Well, I go out of my way and 
Twisting your arm from the wedding present, and um, that is really the end of the show. Thank you ever so much for listening. I'm going to leave you with always oh, a toss up between the darling birds or talking heads. I'm going to go for talking heads. This is Wild Wildlife. Have a fantastic week.
Shut you down.